0: Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Avi Cooper and Hannah Abrams. Hannah, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm not bad. Are you enjoying the left coast?
1: That's right. West
0: coast time. West coast, best coast. See this active sunshine. (laughs) And I guess, Avi, you're middle coast. How how is the middle coast treating you? The no coast. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Things are okay? I'm extraordinarily landlocked, but yes, things are okay.
0: Well, you've got, I think, a treat in store for the adult doctors, but particularly the pediatric doctors, because we're going to be doing something a little bit different tonight. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you probably have a sense that the three of us are physicians that take care of adults. But Avi is throwing us a curveball by bringing us a pediatrics topic. And this is probably where Claire is going to sort of bring in the sinister music because none of us are, <laughs> well, Hannah and I are not prepared. Avi's obviously quite prepared. But the question is, is both surprising and it's filled with issues in immunology and microbiology and human development. It's, it's I find, a fascinating question. And so it's, it's asking, why is it that babies seem to be relatively protected from infection by Clostridium difficile, or C. diff, colitis? So this is not something I thought about before because I just don't go in that realm. So Avi, like, what prompted you to look into this?
2: Yeah it was so surprising for me and you know it's worth noting that babies can get of colitis but as you said they seem to be protected from it compared to adults and honestly i first heard about this when I was an internal medicine resident rotating in GI clinic. And I was working with Dr. Tom Lamont, who is this luminary in gastroenterology. And he's and in particular, he did a lot of foundational work in C. diff. And we were seeing a patient who I think like had, had C. diff infection or something like that. And he just sort of mentioned in this offhand comment after the visit, like how interesting it is that babies don't really get C. diff. And I remember having one of those sort of like, record scratching feelings like full stop like why wouldn't babies get c diff they have colons too they should be able to get colitis um and from c diff and so i sort of stored the question away but eventually came back to it to try to understand it more and and really try to find as full answer as i could as to why this you know interesting protection seems to exist
1: yeah and you know at first i thought our babies just not getting antibiotics but we do give infants antibiotics and sometimes we really need to and so it's odd. And they certainly have the same colons and perhaps some of the same microbiomes that we do, I would imagine. And I know that they can get infectious colitis because of rotavirus. So why is C. diff different? Or is C. diff different?
2: You know, it seems like it. And you know, it's really ironic that C. diff colonization, it's apparently quite common in babies. There was a study from 1989 in the European Journal of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Disease that it looked at the rates of Detectable C. diff in children 18 months of age or younger using rectal swabs. And they found that of the 343 children they sampled, 25% were colonized with C. diff at six months of age or younger. Whereas by like 18 months, the colonization rate had drastically dropped to just 3%. And presumably the babies are picking it up from contamination, exposure in the environment around them in the hospital, and then at home. And when we were preparing for the episode, Tony, uh, you brought up the sort of the point about potentially sort of from the birth canal as well. But quite surprisingly, you know, clinical C. diff colitis in babies in that six month or or younger age group with 25% carriage rate is vanishingly rare. It's technically possible. There are case reports of it happening, but, you know, far, far less frequently than older children and adults. So we have this fascinating discordance, high rates of colonization and exceedingly rare infection, which strongly suggest that babies are somehow protected from C. diff.
0: I'll tell you, that dichotomy is so striking because when I see an older patient with what I think is an infectious diarrhea, it's just, it's C. diff until proven otherwise. And this is so dramatically the, the opposite of that. I don't know. I feel like it might be valuable for for us and for the listeners to sort of hear a little bit more of, of the background in C. diff. So can you maybe tell us a, bit, a little bit about like when was it isolated, you know, how was it isolated and, and, and then sort of kind of bring us up to speed?
2: It happened way back in 1935. Two microbiologists, Elizabeth O'Toole and Ivan Hall, were examining, perhaps ironically for our purposes, they were looking at the stool flora of 10 newborn babies up until the 10th day of life. So of these 10 babies, four were colonized with a bacteria that they had never seen before. No one had seen before. And it was a spore-forming anaerobic rod that was difficult to culture because it had this propensity for very slow growth. So they called it Bacillus difficile because it was a difficult to culture bacillus. And all four of those babies with C. diff were asymptomatic. But Hall and O'Toole, they used an inverted version of Koch's postulates, since the babies were asymptomatic. And they tested to see what would happen after they took this newfound bacteria from them, from these babies, and inoculated it into guinea pigs. And most of the guinea pigs got really severe colitis. Uh, 16 of the 22 animals died over the next nine days. And so they rightly noted, like this is a pathogen given how sick these guinea pigs got, but for some reason the babies were just fine. And so they published their report in JAMA Pediatrics. And there's actually this cool little Easter egg in the paper as well, that in the introduction, they referenced the foundational work of Dr. Escherich, Someone who I hadn't before heard of, but he was a German pediatrician who did foundational early intestinal bacterial culture work in the 1880s, and he was the first to isolate a bacteria that now bears his name, Escherichia coli, although he called it Bacterium coli commune. So, cool little Easter egg in there.
1: Okay, so we actually just learned the names of two bacteria, Bacillus de facilis, which is now forever what I'm going to be calling that, and Escherichia coli. Well, that's fun, but they didn't think it was a pathogen- In humans then? Because it wasn't a pathogen in the babies? Well, I
2: think that's right. You know, O'Toole and Hall, they first isolated it in 1935. They found it could infect and cause colitis in guinea pigs. So they wondered in their conclusion about whether this could be a source of newborn diarrhea in general. But no one really picked up the thread until 43 years later in 1978, when a paper came out of the VA in Los Angeles reporting on a case of a patient who had pseudomembranous colitis after taking the antibiotic clindamycin. And the authors found that the patient's stool contained C. diff and the C. diff toxin. And they theorized that this might be a primary cause of antibiotic-associated diarrhea in general. And a couple of other reports had been published around the same time that showed similar results in this, this association with antibiotics and C. diff. But, you know, this was a bold inference to make from a case report, like a single patient, but they were. Uh, of course, correct. So to me, you know, again, we've highlighted the power of case reports on this podcast before. And I think this is another great example of how they can advance medical knowledge.
0: One thing that's interesting about that sort of history of of C. diff is it isolated in 1935 and then 78, like, you know, case report. I mean, I can remember even in medical school, you know, which I started in 2002. So quite a while ago, I can remember in like my preclinical years, like first and second year, Basically, they were like, oh yeah, there's this thing, C. diff, it sometimes causes infection in these pseudomembranes, but they they definitely didn't give you the sense that it was a big deal. And there's really, over the last 20 years, been an explosion, it seems like. It's, It's kind of an interesting phenomenon how, over the last 50 years, it's gone from zero to 60. I find that fascinating. But so much of it comes down to these toxins that you've alluded to. And so I feel like in order for us to maybe understand why infants are relatively protected, we'll probably have to learn a little bit more about C. diff's toxins and how those contribute to its pathogenesis.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, So there actually isn't one C. diff toxin, there's two. They are creatively named toxin A and toxin B, and they bind to specific receptors on enterocytes and they get internalized within the cell once inside these toxins sort of wreak havoc. They act in two main ways. They have cytopathic effects and cytotoxic effects. The cytotoxic effects involve things like inflammasome activation, reactive oxygen species generation, and then induction of programmed cell death. And the cytopathic effects cause like cytoskeletal breakdown, tight junction disruption, increased epithelial permeability. So all of this leads to cell death, inflammation, and then what we see clinically as colitis.
1: So toxins are key to the pathogenesis of C. diff., in adults at least, are babies somehow resistant to the effect of the C. diff toxin?
2: So that's a really good thought. And, you know, some disruption of the ability of these C. diff toxins to damage enterocytes, it has to play some role in here, right? And so, but more more on that in a minute. But it's interesting to note that, you know, we don't know with 100% certainty what the C. diff toxin receptors are. We don't actually know with certainty what they're binding to. They have to bind to something to get inside these enterocytes and then have all these effects but no one really knows for sure. The best evidence seems to exist for the C. diff toxin receptors being some sort of carbohydrate domain. Like there was this mouse study looking at their enterocytes that if they lack a certain glycoprotein called GP96, then like on their cell surface, then they seem to be protected from C. diff toxin A. But it's interesting that like such a major impact on human health has this like huge gap in knowledge that we don't actually know for certain what its receptor is.
0: Avi, you kind of took us through this really nice review of the historical background and pathophysiology of C. diff, but I gotta bring us back to the main question, and I still really need to know why babies seem to be protected, so can we sort of push on?
2: We can, and I, I expected there to be a single explanation. But
0: wow, that's foolhardy. Yes,
2: it never is. Never that simple. It, Have
0: you not learned anything? <laughs> I've learned
2: nothing from three years of recording this uh, the show. Um, <laughs> it turns out there are probably at least three host factors and one C. diff factor. So it's probably four, at least four factors. So we'll go through each of them, but the three proposed host factors are decreased toxin receptor production in neonatal colons, maternal antibodies, and then the neonatal microbiome as being protective. And then the C. diff factor has to sort of do with virulence of the bacteria.
1: Yeah, it's never just one thing, but you do have to be able to count them on your hands. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) <laughs> All right. Why don't we start talking about the uh, toxin receptor piece, the decreased toxin receptor that you mentioned?
2: I found this one to be particularly fascinating. So apparently human babies are not alone in being resistant to si- symptomatic C. diff. Newborn baby rabbits are similarly protected or sort of mammalian cousins. So a 1992 study in the Journal of Clinical Investigation found that there's dramatically reduced binding of C. diff toxin to the colonic mucosa of these like neonatal rabbits. And so this strongly suggests that like, you know, in general, immature colons, like simply they probably just haven't had a chance to like make enough of this, whatever receptors is is there to have the toxin be able to like bind, get internalized and cause damage. Or maybe like the the receptor that they do make is like sort of dysfunctional because it's still immature, um, at least in baby rabbits. So I found this explanation like pretty compelling. It succinctly would sort of explain why babies are so commonly colonized with C. diff, but almost, you know, again, never get symptoms.
0: So I am not in the business of wanting baby rabbits to get C. diff, so this makes me happy. But is there any human data supporting this theory?
2: Yeah, there is indeed. Yeah, those poor rabbits. Not so, a monster. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, come on, right? Um, <laughs> Adult rabbits, fine, but not baby rabbits.
2: <laughs> um, So there was this human cell culture study from 1986 that compared how, like, Fetal colonic enterocytes were able to bind and internalize diff toxin when compared with um, cells from adults. And they tested both toxin A and B, and they found that fetal enterocytes they essentially took up no toxin. So they like test, tested the concentration of the toxins in the cell culture after like 60 minutes, 120 minutes, and then with the fetal enterocytes, they found that the levels of toxin didn't decrease at all. So like basically nothing was getting removed from the culture into the cells. But the adult cells, they readily internalized it, and there was a decrease in toxin toxin concentration by like 25-fold during the experiment So with the adults. So that strongly suggests that and supports the notion that infant enterocytes, they don't have like the toxin receptor machinery that's functional to be able to internalize a toxin.
1: That is very cool and does seem to both fit with the kind of preclinical data and everything you told us, even though we don't know very much about the C. diff Sort of, but right, we don't know what it's buying to, but it involved. seems to not
2: be being made well. <laughs>
1: yeah. What about maternal antibodies?
2: You know, I also found this explanation fairly intuitive too. You know, so if you study adults, it's been shown that asymptomatic carriers of C. diff have higher, like, antitoxin A antibodies than those with active colitis. And this not surprisingly you know, suggests that antibodies are protective against colitis. And so you may recall from med school or from the pediatrician's office that like newborns and infants, they have immature immune systems. So they are essentially entirely reliant on maternal antibodies being passively transferred from the placenta in utero and through breast milk. And like as humans in the world, birth mothers are commonly exposed to C. diff in their lives. And so Breast milk has been found to commonly contain antibodies against C. toxin A. So, you know, such antibodies would block toxin A from binding to its receptor. And after passing to a breastfed baby, it likely contributes to protection from C. colitis, which again, I thought was really cool because it's, it's just sort of happening from inside, from the receptor standpoint, from outside, from the antibodies that, that the babies are receiving from their moms. It's really cool how, on multiple levels, they seem to be protected from C diff.
0: It's cool, but it, you said it's also intuitive, which is appealing. You know, th- when an explanation just kind of makes sense, and, and these do make sense. You said another potential explanation comes from the world of the microbiome. Yeah. So, so how does that? get How could we
2: not talk about the microbiome? I mean, can we just wave our hands <laughs> yes, and say microbiome. microbiome and then just? Well, it's funny when you like, I, 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 you know, I haven't spent a lot of time in the microbiome literature, but for this, you know, I dilute a little bit, and it's funny to like see like just all these. Signatures that, you know, of of different all these bacterial species that people identify. It's very complicated and I don't understand it well. But it's, you know, it's known that resident microbiota in our intestines prevent C. diff spores sort of in general, like they sort of suppress it from going from spore to active toxin producing bacteria, which is why exposure to antibiotics is the main risk factor for C. diff colitis. So it turns out that babies who are less than a year old have. Different microbial flora than the rest of us. Apparently, conceptually, I guess it's less complex in terms of species composition, whatever that means. But and so it isn't known with certainty if this difference plays a protective role, but it might. It's interesting to note that infants colonized with C. diff have a different bacterial flora profile than those who aren't colonized. So, does this difference reflect a cause or effect in terms of C. diff being there and being, you know, them being protected from colitis? I guess it probably is just like based on everything we know about the suppressive role of the intestinal microbiome for C. diff, but, you know, presumably the evolving microbiota profile over the next sort of one to two years of life sort of boots out the C. diff as a routine colonizer. Like you don't have to go home, but you don't, can't stay here sort of thing. And so I don't know that, that may be what, what's going on too.
1: Not quite ready for a fetal fecal matter transplant. Uh, the FFMT, but it does seem like intuitive that there is some involvement. So we talked about decreased whatever receptor is involved in endocytosing the toxin in in neonatal colons. We talked about maternal antibodies, and we talked about the infant microbiome. So those were your three host factors, and we've got to fit it on one hand. So I think you mentioned there was a component about the virulence of the C. diff strains that are in babies themselves
2: yeah so like the final piece of the puzzle so to speak right and we we were were able to keep it on one hand as you said so with all the bacteria that are human pathogens certain strains are going to be more or less virulent right and so in the case of c diff the breakdown involves toxigenic and non-toxigenic strains non-toxigenic strains don't produce toxins and big surprise given their name they don't produce toxins they don't cause colitis so whereas you know toxigenic strains do lead to colitis so if we you know examine the virulence of colonizing C. diff strains in infants, you know it's interesting that there seems to be some differences. So I came across this really interesting review article from 2010 in the Journal of Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition. Not a journal I crack open very often or ever, but the authors noted that if you look at all the studies that have examined the types of C. diff strains that colonize babies, babies are much more often colonized with non-toxigenic strains. And so this tendency to have less virulent bacteria may play a role as well but again this seems to be really sort of a multifactorial situation that culminates in this protection
0: yeah I, I just want to make an observation that th- this article from 2010 uh, you know I was kind of looking through the articles that you've cited that's at least the third that was co-authored by Tom Lamont who you did this clinic with it just makes the point like when he was like hey avi here's this observation it's not like he had read it in a textbook he published on this like repeatedly, which is pretty cool that you got to do clinic with him, I just have to say. Yeah,
2: no, thank, thank you for highlighting that. And it's funny because when I was in clinic, it was one of those situations where it's just like, I didn't appreciate that I was sitting next to a sort of giant in the field of sort of studying and understanding C. diff. But of course, he's very humble. So he didn't say like, oh, yeah, I wrote a, wrote a lot of the papers describing. This. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> he just said, <laughs> yeah, isn't this interesting?
0: <laughs> yeah, It's not the first time that you've probably Sort of been around someone who's done amazing work and they didn't, they weren't showy about it. And Hannah and I have certainly experienced that as well. Yeah. So this topic has been fascinating, but there's, I'm sure there's something you're holding out on us about that you're going to have to tell us before we close out because this is, there's, there's so much cool stuff here.
2: You know, the, the one last thing I wanted to mention um, is there does seem to be a benefit of having C. diff colonization as an infant and then sort of with downstream effects decades later in life, it probably does impact susceptibility to C. diff infection as an adult. And so being colonized with C. diff, like we talked about already, you know, it leads to production of antibodies against C. diff, including against C. diff toxins. So there was a study from the New England Journal in 2000 that showed that if patients had pre-existing antibodies against C. diff toxin A, they were less likely to develop C. diff after getting exposed to antibiotics. So it seems to be that having those antibodies around from earlier in life seems to be protective later on. So pretty cool stuff.
1: I am so excited. All of my hospital association, low volume, C. diff exposures, <laughs> in my career in medicine are finally going to pay off. I will defeat you, Bacillus de yeah,
0: You're swimming in antibodies. <laughs> or they're swimming in you, I guess, is probably the better way to say it.
1: We're swimming together. Yeah. All right. So Avi, be, before we wrap up, any uh, any final thoughts?
2: I just wanted to plug the podcast of a friend of mine from my pre-med days, Dr. Benjamin Korsha. He's now a neonatologist in Florida. He hosts a terrific podcast about newborn care called The Incubator. So check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, ben was kind enough to peer review the original tutorial for this topic back in May 2022. So very grateful that he- Took the time out of his busy schedule to offer some pediatric expertise.
0: Yeah, so definitely check out The Incubator, a well named podcast. Uh, Avi, what uh, take home points do you have?
2: Yeah, the first would be that humans have a paradoxical situation where both, I guess, human babies and baby rabbits too are protected from C. diff colitis, but are very commonly colonized by it. And so, and actually, it was first described in babies. So this results from a confluence of both host and bacterial factors. We talked about at least four. And it probably helps protect us from C. Diff colitis later in life by way of humoral immunity.
0: Very cool.
1: Very cool. All right. I can't believe we never came back to the fact that Tony nonchalantly mentioned an explosion of C. Diff. Uh, (laughs) And with that, I I can be at peace. That wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thanks, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. Physicians and other healthcare professionals can earn CME and MOC credits from VCU Health just for listening to this episode. For more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash Curious Clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational, entertainment, and explosive purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.